Welcome back, everybody, to this week's episode of the Heavy Branches Podcast. I'm Jacob. And I'm Tanner. And we are so excited to introduce our very first special guest on the podcast, our great friend, Jacob Cave. Jacob, tell us a little bit about yourself. Oh, man, special might be uh, pushing it a little (laughs) bit. Um, My name is Jacob, like you said. I'm from western Kentucky, um, so pretty much the middle of the woods. Um, (laughs) I live in a place called Morton's Gap, Kentucky. Um, Where's that at? In the woods. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, so I'm about 45 minutes south of Owensboro, and that's where I live. But I'm also a student of Louisville Bible College with both of these guys. And I'm just really excited to be here with you both. And, yeah, thank you for having me. I really appreciate it. Oh, it, it is our privilege to have you on here. Jacob, uh, well, Jacob Cave, I've, I've got to, like, clarify <laughs> who I'm talking about or talking to. Jacob Cabe, uh, we met him at LBC three years ago now. It's, I guess it's been that long, that man. It's, that's a that's long time. That's kind of crazy. But we met him th- three years ago, and uh, he was wet behind the ears at LBC. And it was really cool because it ha- I I had been at LBC two years. And I'd been there the one. only person that had come that was new was Jacob Simpson <laughs> and then out of nowhere I walk into school one day and there's three young guys all in the dorm room where I stayed <laughs> and Jacob Cave was one of them and uh he has grown so much at LBC he's a really good preacher um as a friend uh me and Jacob are both proud of him and uh we're excited to have him on the podcast there is a, there's guys. a few people that uh when I preach, I, I normally have the sermon recordings, and there are a few people in my life that I'll send my sermons to because I trust them to give me an, an honest critique and tell me when I drop the ball, but also encourage me in things I do right. And these two men sitting at the table with me are two of those guys I, I trust for that. So uh, love these guys a lot. They mean a lot to me. So I'm so excited to have you guys you know, here with me tonight to do this podcast. Uh, Tanner, how was your week? My week was pretty good. Uh, enjoying married life. That's really nice. Back into the typical uh, grind, I guess, of, of ministry, which is a good thing. Happy to be doing it. It was a little different this week with our parking lot being redone. I worked from home instead of the office, but uh, still a good week. Got some stuff planned for the for church coming up here real soon. Hopefully they're solid uh, avenues for outreach. Good. and. And so I'm excited about that. How was your week? It was really good. Um, Jacob and I were actually together pretty much all week. You got to my house Sunday night, right? Yeah, I believe so. So he came up Sunday night, and uh, we hung out and just had a good time. And then first thing Monday morning, went four hours on the road to Grundy, Virginia, for the National Prayer Clinic, which if you're watching our video, you can see I've got my National Prayer Clinic hat on. Uh, It was me and him both were given a, a free hat. Well, it wasn't free. A guy paid for it for us, but it was our first time there, and he he did that just to show his appreciation for us coming. And it was a great time. Lots of really great fellowship with some people that I knew and hadn't seen in a while and some people that I had never met before. So great Christian fellowship there, lots of good preaching, um, uh, good good worship through song. So it was, it was a great time. Jacob, how was your week? Oh, it was, it was really good. Like you said, we were both at the National Prayer Clinic. Um, I think I might be the only person excited 
that it was on top of a mountain <laughs> and like in the middle of the woods. But that made me really excited when I found out that it's literally on top of a mountain. And so when we got there and there was like a one lane road going up to the top and we we're in the middle of the woods, I'm like, man. I feel home. This is wonderful. <laughs> like there's no oh. one around and no cars. And we got on the top, you could just see for miles. And it was just an absolutely gorgeous place. Jacob Cabe always finds a way to humble me because he is just one of those people that finds so much joy in the simplest things in life. Yes, he does. And for you audio listeners right now, he is currently wearing a Bucky's t-shirt, <laughs> the, the big gas station. And it just is very fitting for him. He loves... Things like Bucky's and simple things. <laughs> I do love and Bucky's very much. He is possibly uh, one of the most joyous people <laughs> I've ever met. He in radiates my life. joy. That is for sure. I wish he would tell me a secret. <laughs> That's a very big compliment. But guys. it I is it. it is great to be around and brings us a lot of joy. Uh, we want to remind you about marking your calendars for some of the other events. We had been reminding them about the prayer clinic, but there's also a couple other things that we. Uh, have been reminding them yeah, of. Uh, the Grissom Refuel event is coming up. Uh, that's going to be October 27th through 29th. Uh, Jacob and I will be there. Uh, I won't be there that Sunday, actually. I'll be preaching at a uh, nearby church that Sunday. So I, I'll probably be able to come back for the afternoon part on Sunday, but uh, I'll be there the, the other two days. And really looking forward to that, just a time to gather for, for fellowship, preaching, uh, worship through song, and uh, just to see some guys that I preach that I really look up to and know have been taught by several of them and uh, I'm really looking forward to it and I know Jacob is too so we want to remind you about that that's October 27th through 29th at the Grissom Church of Christ and then we also want to remind you about um, Louisville Bible College all three of us are students slash alumni slash both I guess I guess I'm both an <laughs> yeah, alumni and a student pretty much. <laughs> um, but we just want to remind you guys that Anyone can take classes there. Um, you don't have to be someone trained to be a preacher, to be a youth minister, whatever it may be, uh, a missionary. LBC offers classes to help people grow in their Bible knowledge and, and, and anything Bible or ministry related. And so if that's something that interests you, our next semester actually starts up on January the 15th. Um, and so you can, get, you can get that online on our website or on our Facebook page if you want to check out the possibility of taking some classes with us at Louisville. There's also a pretty high likelihood that I take a class in December. Really? The uh, I think it's an origins That's news class for me. Oh, yeah. you're gonna take the origins? Yeah, with uh, Brian. That's the so. only class that I'm not taking. So I uh, <laughs> nice. appreciate that. Maybe tenor. you ought it. That's quite upsetting. Oh man. <laughs> so I know we need to to get jumping into the chapter here, but let me tell you guys just v briefly about this origins class. Tanner is is mentioned. Uh, it's going to be taught by Brian Schultz, who is personally one of uh, my favorite professors at, at LBC. Yeah, absolutely. Um, don't tell the rest of them I said that. They may listen to this. I don't know. Oh, I will. It, it's, hard I to will. Pick, it's hard to pick favorites. They're, they're all so great. Brian has been teaching the apologetics class this semester. Me and Jacob both have it. He's, he's very scholarly, always well-studied. I always learn a lot from Brian. And the origins is going to be talking about the origins of the earth and the origins of mankind. So if you've ever wondered things like, well, how, how many years old actually is, is the earth? You know, is it just a couple thousand? Is it hundreds of thousands or hundreds of millions? Or, or where did we actually all come from? If, if those are things that, you know, you've wondered and wanted to learn more about, uh, there, there are a few men that I know that I would trust more than Brian to to teach us these things from God's word and to, to be 
true and faithful and accurate. So if that's something that interests you, uh, and you're free coming up in December, uh, consider taking that. You can take it in Louisville in person or online over Zoom. Yeah, Brian is a great, great friend, but also uh, a faithful, faithful minister. So let's hop in. We are picking up in Luke chapter 8, so be sure to read that. Pause the video if you need to. Read along with us as we go. Read afterwards. Really make sure that you're in the Word as we go through this. And not only should you be in the Word, but make sure that you're checking us. Uh, You know, just because we're speaking on the podcast doesn't mean that we're always right. Make sure that what we're teaching, you know, we're trying, we're trying our best, but make sure what we're teaching is actually biblical, and it's on you as the listeners to check your word and 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 see the truth that is in it, uh, and believe scripture above all else. Uh, to continue in context, let's remember that last week as we looked through G, uh, Luke chapter seven. Jesus healed the centurion slave. He raised a boy from the dead. Uh, that's the first time that we actually see the resurrection power of Jesus. We read about John asking if Jesus was the Messiah, and we read about Jesus teaching a Pharisee about forgis- forgiveness. Uh, we read about him forgiving the sins of a woman who showed her faith. So, As we hop into chapter 8, there are 56 verses. Luke loves his long chapters. Yeah, he does. Our chapter title, the chapter title I've given it this week is The Power of Christ Displayed. And he, we're going to see as we go through this chapter, he does this in four ways. He shows his power through his teaching. He shows his power through controlling nature. He shows his power through curing the, the demoniac and through healing illnesses. It sounds like you're ready to preach an expository sermon with four points. Yeah, right there, <laughs> it's ready to go. That would that would do. That would do. Might have to might have to pull that one out here soon. <laughs> Just a reminder, as we go through this chapter, we don't read every verse. Our goal is to find the key thoughts in the chapter and really use those key thoughts to help all of us grow in Christ so that we can better bear fruit for him. So as we hop in, just looking, you know, from the very beginning, we read this little section about how he begins traveling again. He's he's jumping into his mission again, proclaiming and preaching the kingdom of God is what verse 1 says. And it begins to talk about women, uh, some of the women that are following him in the ministry and, and their goals. And I just wanted to point out how he immediately picks back up doing his mission. That, you know, he's always about his goal, always about uh, the Father's work for him. And I also find there is a very important difference between people that Jesus has helped and people that Jesus actually changed. Um. And we see that in in these women that the scripture speaks of. Those truly changed by Jesus, they are going to prove the change by their faith and their commitment. And we see that not only did Jesus help uh, these, these women who had been healed of evil spirits and sicknesses like Mary, uh, uh, who was called Magdalene, 
who had seven demons, or Joanna, or, you know, so on. Not only had they healed him, but it says that they were contributing to their support and out of private, uh, out of their private means, and they were following Jesus. So there was not just a, a healing, but there was a change of heart. There was a new commitment found in them where they were daily following him wherever he went and supporting him as, as much as they could. Many were healed by Jesus, but their heart didn't change. Yet the heart and action of these women changed. Their, their whole life changed because they trusted Jesus to heal, but not just because of that, not, be, not just because their body was healed, but because their soul had been saved. Um, and it, it, I point that out because we see that in Christians. As we're looking at people in the church, as, as we ourselves are sharing the gospel message with people, you know, as we are doing things of outreach, as we're helping with giving food to the homeless or whatever it might be, you can tell those that have a change of heart. I mean, it, it's pretty clear. Those that actually have a change of heart, their whole life changes. Their whole lifestyle changes. And sometimes that change of heart that people have because of the different outreach or service things that we do for them. Well, well first, we don't do that outreach or service to try to change their heart. We do that out of the love that we should show them because Christ has told us to love others. Yeah. Yeah. But secondly, and we'll talk about this a little more later, sometimes the good good things that we do for others out of love will change their heart. But it'll take a lo- it'll take years. That 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 seed won't grow immediately that you plant by showing love. So you tell me I, I can do one nice thing just for someone and they won't immediately come to God and submit their whole life to him? Well, I mean, yeah, that's that's what I'm telling you. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I think you're However, right for sure. That nice thing that that one time you show love can stick with a person for years. It can. And have an impact on them years down the line and you may never even see them again. But that one act of love can and could have an effect on their salvation. And I guess the point I want to make there that is this. Even if the acts of love that we show never cause a, a said person to have that change of heart and come to Christ, first of all, it wasn't a waste because we're, we're doing our responsibility to show them love. But secondly... That's still part of bearing fruit. Exactly. And, and I've, I've seen churches sometimes... We'll do these outreach ministries where we're providing or, or meeting some kind of physical need for, for the community, whether it be uh, a free meal or whether it be school supplies or clothes or whatever it may be. And I hear people in the church say, you know, we've been doing this ministry for a couple of years now or a few different times now, and nobody started coming to church because of it or nobody has come to Christ because of it. So we need to just quit or we're just wasting our time. Or money, which or, is or, typically the or money too. Or bigger argument. And I want to encourage you guys, and 
and maybe correct a few of you if this is the mindset we've had in, in love. I want to correct you in love. We don't show love and do these nice things for the community with the with the only intention of, well, it was a waste of time and money if they don't come to Christ. We are told to to love others and to act in that love whether or not they have a change of heart because of it or not. That's not up to us. That's between them and God. Yeah. And so in your in your church, in your congregations that you serve in, don't grow weary in doing good because Escalations tells us, I think we mentioned this a couple podcasts ago, if you don't grow weary in doing good, you will reap a harvest. And even if that harvest is just God being pleased with you for doing that good, it was all worth it, and he will be. Paul points out that some plant and some water, but God causes the growth. Amen. So we do we do the loving, we do our job, but we need to remember to allow God to do his work. And as Jacob said, if people's hearts don't change, that's between them and God. That's not on us. And our expectation is just to be um, doing the commands of God. And we're commanded to be loving, and we should not have any other expectations but to be in the right eyes of God. We don't do it because we think anyone else around us is going to be change because of they will eventually because of uh, how God works and how amazing he is but but we don't do it for that but we do it because we're commanded to love we don't do it to change them we do it because God has told us to yeah and God has changed us and so because of that we are to love amen yeah speaking of commands as we go further into the chapter we begin to read some of Jesus's parables this is likely the primary mode, the, the most common teaching mode that Jesus uses in the Gospels. And so as we hop in here, we begin to see, especially in the timeline of all four Gospels, we begin to see more and more of these parables that Jesus is teaching in. And the first question is, why are these parables so effective? Why why does Jesus choose to teach in this way? The reason Jesus chooses to do this is it relates directly to everyday life. The people that were listening and the people that actually wanted to hear what Jesus had to say would have understood these parables because it related to things that they were either actually doing themselves, actually working and in this line of work themselves, or they were very close to it and understood that this is a regular everyday thing that is happening around me. Jesus knew the culture that he was in, and he knew how to use things that earthly things that they would be very familiar with to teach um, spiritual applications and points. Absolutely. So all Christians who wish to teach or guide should learn to relate the gospel to everyday life. Absolutely. Now, some of you might be saying, I'm no teacher, but the Bible teaches us that if you're a Christian and someone around you isn't, or even if somebody around you is, you have the duty to share Jesus with them and encourage them with the gospel. So, it could be a coworker, it could be a friend, it could be a family member, it could be somebody that goes to church, or it could even be a son or daughter. But we have the job to teach, uh, and we have the job to share the gospel and 
the best way to do that is after the example of Christ, relate the gospel message which he's given us, which has changed your life. You should know it well. Relate it to everyday life so that they can better understand and apply it to their own lives. So you really mean that uh, sharing the gospel isn't only a, an obligation for the preacher or for the youth minister or for the missionary? You're really telling me that. More people are saved on a personal level than are ever saved by the preacher preaching a sermon on Sunday morning. Well, that's what is so amazing about the gospel is because it applies to all people and all ways of life. Mm-hmm. And so, like, a lot of these stories are common people, and he's relating to common things, and, you know, we're going to get into it. He's talking about, I'm going to call it gardening, but it was probably just the way they ate and the way they lived life. But, like, when we are trying to relay the gospel to someone, we have to go to their context and kind of bring it down to, to their level because that's what Jesus did. And so I think of, like, if we're teaching children about the gospel, we're not going to do it in a way th- with things they don't understand. Like we're not going to describe it as, you know, cars or planes or, or something like that, but in a way that a child would understand, and it applies to, to all people in all places. And when you're teaching children, you're probably not going to go into sanctification and justification and uh, different big uh, Bible church words like that. And you're not going to relate it to working a 9-to-5 job. Yeah, and it it it's not bringing it down as if the people we're talking to are stupid. It's bringing it to their everyday life, so it's easier for them to apply it to their own lives. Because you and I, we don't live the exact same life. Well, yeah, there's there's things in Cincinnati that people that live there at your local congregation that is going to apply to them that do not apply to people in Morton's Gap just yeah. because we live in a different situation. You know, I live in a, it's a mining town of really small community. And so there's city life that, that I just myself probably won't understand either. And so, you know, that, but the gospel still applies to the people that are in the city and the, the people that live in, you know, the woods, like I said, in Morton's Gap. Absolutely. And like, that's, that's why, you know, it's the gospel is so amazing. And I'll just kind of end that conversation with this. Relating the gospel to somebody does not mean relating the gospel to their sin. So we're not, we don't excuse sin and allow ourselves to sin with them so that we can share the gospel Hmm. message. That is something that is, uh, I think, more and more misunderstood that, you know, we, we should allow ourselves to enter the sinful culture of things so that we can share the gospel. That's not what we see here. Jesus never allows himself to become a part of the sinful culture in order to share the gospel. He relates it to things that are a part of the culture, but it isn't. he never sins in, by doing this. So as we, we talk about kind of sharing the gospel and in presenting that message, it kind of brings us down to the next little section here in Luke chapter 8, which is in verses 4 through 15, about the parable of the sower. Um, now, there are times where people ask me, Jacob, what's your favorite verse in the Bible? Or what's your favorite book in the Bible? And I, I kind of struggle with that. I believe, and the two men next to me believe that Every verse, every uh, every word of every verse in the Bible, Old and New Testament, is inspired by God and 
is Absolutely. is perfect and is infallible. And so I struggle a little bit with picking favorites, but if I'm being real honest with you, the parable of the sower is one that I've always really loved. Uh, I loved getting to teach this. I, I went through this uh, over several weeks back when I was a youth minister studying with the youth. Um, I've I've done a lot of study. I haven't preached a sermon yet on this text, but I'm sure it'll happen eventually. Um, but I, I wanted to kind of go through here a little bit, the parable of the sower. And as I'm kind of going through this, I want to take some time to just cover it briefly. But then I've got a few questions that I'd like the three of us, as well as our audience, to ponder as we think about the parable of the sower. So let's let's kind of go through it here. In this parable that Jesus is teaching, uh, the sower is sowing seed, and we see that the seed is the word of God. So the, the seed is, that is being tossed is the word. This is one of the parables where we are actually blessed with Jesus actually explaining to us what the parable means. Yeah, I love those. <clears throat> it takes a lot of responsibility out of, out of my hands trying to figure out exactly what he meant. Yeah. So the, we, we know that the seed is the word of God, and we see four different soils in, in here. We see the road so, the soil that is by the road, uh, the rocky soil, the thorny soil, and the good soil. So the soil that is um, by the road, fell beside the road, is, Jesus tells us, it is like when a person hears the message, but the devil takes it away from their heart so that they won't believe. So as we think about that, that reminds me that we do have an enemy that is that is roaming around the earth trying to stop men and women from coming to the Lord and trying to tear down men and women who are already in the Lord. Um, if the seed falls by the road, the devil can come take it away so, so people won't believe. Next we have the rocky soil. And that's when people hear and receive the gospel with joy. And one, one commentary that I was reading out of this said that uh, maybe this happens when, when people come to a very quick emotional decision to come to, to accept the gospel. You hear and receive it with joy, but it never takes root in you. And, t- and when temptation comes, the person falls away. Now, I, I don't say that to say that coming to the gospel isn't an emotional time. Knowing that your sin has put you in a state of separation from God is a very emotional thing. And knowing that there, the, the good news of the gospel is that that sin problem can be taken care of by our accepting of that message and our obedience to the gospel that's a very, very emotional thing. But sometimes if we come and we even if we receive it with joy, it doesn't end up taking root. And when temptation comes, we'll cause them to fall away. That's the rocky soil. The thorny soil. So when people hear the message, but three different things will choke out the life of that seed, the word, and it will, will cause it not to grow. And those three things are the worries of life, the riches of life and life's pleasures. And notice what it says in, the, in that soil. It says that it, it, it never brings fruit to maturity. Never brings fr- fruit to maturity. And we'll, we'll cover that in a minute. The last soil we see is the good soil. That's, that's, the, that's when a person hears the message, they hold fast to it, and they bear fruit 
with perseverance. So I told you there are three questions that I wanted to ask here, and if you guys have anything else to add to this afterwards, feel free. I don't want to feel like I'm, I'm taking this whole section, but the first question I want you guys to think about and myself to think about, am I bearing fruit? And if not, what is the soil of my heart? Is it the soil that's by the road where we heard the message but the devil takes it away so that we won't believe because it never took root in us? Maybe it's the rocky soil. Maybe when we came to Christ and accepted the gospel, we received it with great joy. But we never planted our roots, got involved in, in Bible studies and, and fellowship with the congregation. And when, when there's no roots to our faith, temptation is going to come and cause us to fall away and not bear fruit. Maybe it's the thorny soil. Maybe we've heard the message, but the worries of this life, the riches in this life, and the pleasures of this life became to take a priority over that gospel message and choked out the, the seed that was growing in us so that it never brought fruit to maturity. Notice there's only one soil that will allow us to bear fruit. That's the good soil. So when we hear the message, we hold fast to it. And notice what the scripture says. We bear fruit with perseverance. It's in verse 15. These are the ones who have heard the word in an honest and good heart and hold it fast and bear fruit with perseverance. There's only one condition of your heart that as a Christian person is going to allow you to bear fruit. And that's if you have that good soil. You hold fast to the commitment you've made with Christ you will bear fruit with perseverance. That's the first question I want you to think about. You really, that really causes or pushes me, and it should push all of us to really search our soul, to really think about whether or not the gospel has actually changed our life. We were just talking about that at the very beginning with the women. The gospel actually changed how they lived. So this pushes us to ask ourselves the same question. Because if it has, there's going to be fruit that's evident of that. And it tells us to not only, you know, bear fruit and have a heart that is good soil, but that does not mean that that things are going to be easy and that everything's going to come easy because it says that hold it fast. And bear fruit with perseverance because one of the, the other fruits, you know, is, is choked out by the pleasures and the problems of life. And that's the difference with the good soil. It's it's those that don't have an easy life and follow the gospel. It's those that persevere through bearing f- fruit in the hard times and the trials and, and through the, the toil of this life. And holding fast to that commitment they've made with Christ. Has yeah. the ability to endure has the ability to endure because the faith and the trust is all on God. So the first question I wanted you to think about is, am I bearing fruit? And if not, what is the soil of my heart? Here's the second one. Are we okay with simply being a seed scatterer? Really think about that. Are we okay with our job, our responsibility, Scattering seed, and remember that seed is the word of God. <clears throat> and, the, and the results are going to be out of our hands. 
as as Tanner mentioned earlier, First Corinthians chapter three verse six, Paul says, "I planted, Apollos watered, but God was causing the growth." It can be heartbreaking to share the gospel with people and never see that that fruit grow, that that fruit grow up into good soil. So we've got to ask ourselves, are we okay with our, our part just being to scatter the seed? Because it's our responsibility to obey the Lord Jesus when he tells us that we are to scatter the seed of the word. We can't cause it to grow. This is something that's been heavy on, on my heart for, for a while now because, you know, as someone that that has spent a lot of time in Bible college and studying and knowing the word, all that I want, and I know you guys want, is to spread the gospel and to teach the word of God. That's what we want to do. And because of that, we sometimes have expectations because of this is the word, people are going to change. And that's, you know, the, that is scriptural, but we don't make the change happen, but but God does. And I, I remember just thinking that, that because I'm I'm... I'm doing these things that immediately stuff is going to happen, and that's not really the case a lot of times. And I really got questioned, and, and my heart was was really heavy because I met this this one missionary, and I'm not going to say, I don't, I don't remember his name or exactly where he was at, but he spent his uh, life in missions for 30 years, and he was telling me he's a place that, that the, the hearts were just really hard, that that. He spread a lot of seed, but but not a whole lot were planted. And in those 30 years, he had baptized three people. Mm-hmm. And I was thinking about that, and I was like, three people in 30 years, that's that's t- that's one every 10 years. And then he said something that, that really stuck with me. He said, I am okay with that. My life is meaningful, and my life is worth it because three people came to Christ because the word was spoken to them, not because he did anything, but because he was there to to preach the word, and he was perfectly okay that his life was spent. It wasn't wasted, and and I think there's a, um, like you said, are we okay being being a seed seed spreader? Because sometimes, you know, we're going to spread the gospel, but it's not going to always get on, on good soil. We're, our expectations aren't always going to be met. And like this guy, his heart was so, um, in line with God, that he was okay with, with spreading the gospel and, and only a couple people coming to Christ, but those were three people that were saved because of the word, and that's where we should focus and not on, well, I did some work, so it needs to be, some change needs to happen because I really worked hard at it. That's not the heart that we need to have. Bearing, bearing fruit is not about the number of souls that come to Christ because of the absolutely. word that you spoke. Bearing fruit is about following through with what God expects and allowing him to do work through you, but also allowing him to do the work in other people's lives. And if they refuse him, that's not on you. It reminds me of the words of Jesus that each and every Christian looks forward to hearing, well done, good and faithful servant. Notice Jesus didn't say, well done, good and successful servant. <laughs> that brings so me a lot of peace. <laughs> many of us, yeah, many of us would think of a successful ministry as a ministry that baptized a lot more than three people in thirty years. But that missionary was faithful to the calling God put on his life. Amen. To serve and be a seed scatterer 
and he was faithful. And that's, that's what God was wanting out of him. The third thing I would like you to ponder regarding this parable of the sower. This isn't really a question. This is just more of a statement. Is that growth sometimes can take time. When we, when we spread the seed, the word of God, sometimes growth can take time. It reminds me of a story I heard about Phil Robertson that I wanted to share with you guys today. Um, if you ever watched the TV show Duck Dynasty, you might remember Phil Robertson. He was the, the older man on that show. But I, w- I want to read this. I actually found this on a, on a devotional that uh, they did. And he, he's talking about a story in his life. And I just want to read it to you because it's a really great reminder for us that sometimes growth can take time. So let me read this to you. This is from Phil Robertson. <clears throat> he says, Years ago, I was invited to give my duck call demonstration at a store in Iowa. A huge crowd of duck hunters gathered around me like bees on honey. They'd seen our Duck Commander's DVDs and our TV show on the Outdoor Channel, and they wanted to meet me in person. Now, after I went through my demonstration, I used the opportunity to share the gospel. Now, look, I know if you're going to do that, there will be a trickle of people who head toward the exit, but that's okay with me because I've also seen the impact of the, of the gospel on people's lives. In about five years after that presentation in Iowa, I got this letter. It said, Dear Mr. Robertson, I came to hear your demonstration in Iowa because you were my hero in the duck-calling world. In my mind, you were the big cheese and the guru, and I had you all built up. And as you went through the demonstration, I thought, that guy can sure blow a duck call. Good night, if I could only get as half as good as he is. Phil, I really looked up to you. But before a cat could lick his tail, the duck calls went back inside your little satchel. And the next thing I know, you've got a Bible. And you're talking about sin, death, and Jesus. And I'm thinking, what a jerk. (laughs) He's taking advantage of me. I came to hear a duck call, and now he's beating me over the head with religion. And Phil, when I left there, I bad-mouthed you. I cussed you to everybody I knew. I even threw your duck calls away. But a strange thing happened. What I heard kept gnawing at me. One day I woke up and sat on the side of my bed. And I was thinking, now wait a minute. This guy told us that we were all sinners. And I know that's true. He proceeded to tell us that we're all going six feet deep in the grave one day. And I know that's true as well. So I began to question why I was actually mad at you, Phil. And it occurred to me that the whole time I've been bad-mouthing you, it wasn't really you that I was mad at. It was God. He's the one that I've been rebelling against. Here you give me the way off of planet Earth. You tell me my sins can be removed so I can come forth from the grave. And I'm cussing you out over that? For five years? What can I say? I was an idiot. So I took you up on the good news of Jesus. I responded by faith, and I was baptized into Christ. My wife is thrilled. My children are jumping up and down. They're happy because their dad is now a Christian. And I hereby wanted to officially apologize to you for cursing your name for five years. Now that's a true story. Phil... Is, has won many people to the Lord, and, and that is a true story. And so here's what I want to use it 
with to encourage you is that sometimes growth takes time. And not only is the sometimes growth takes time, sometimes the people that we never would have expected would, would grow and, and respond to the gospel, they will. Sometimes it's the very people that don't, don't treat you kindly, but kindly reject. Sometimes it's the people that curse your name for five years because of what you said to them regarding the gospel. Sometimes that seed just takes a little time to grow. Absolutely. And I really like, um, just to, to, to point this out, if, if Jesus even told us who this is for and, and who needs to listen to this and who, needs, who this applies to, um, in, in verse 8 he says, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. <laughs> so what he's telling is this is for everyone, that, that, that everyone that, that can listen not not just have physical ears, but anyone that can listen uh, to the words of God and the words of Jesus needs to be doing what these words say, which Absolutely. I just think is super cool. So the question often arises, why would Jesus teach in these parables? And we talked earlier about it relating to them, but Jacob just made a really good point. Because it's for anybody what these parables really did is they challenged the truly sincere. Those that really wanted to seek God, it challenged them to seek answers to the questions they had about these parables. But it also kept truths hidden from those that didn't really care. They would just hear it and think, oh, Jesus is talking nonsense and continue in their unbelief. But those that truly wanted to believe for those that truly cared, they sought answers, and the truth was then revealed to them. Jesus follows the parable of the sower with another parable we see in most scriptures. It's called the parable of the lamp, and this is kind of a continuation of the previous parable where Jesus talks about spreading seed, sharing the gospel, and now he's talking about okay, those that have the gospel message, those that know the word of God and the truth that's in it, you are now a light. You are now one that has this truth. And nobody lights a candle and then puts something over it to keep the light from illuminating the room. Jesus, God, has blessed us with his gospel message, and those of us that know the truth and have come to accept it shouldn't hide it. We, we sang that song uh, as children so often, and uh, it often gets sang around Christmas time now. We, we sing that song, This Little Light of Mine, I'm Going to Let It Shine. And it's, it's based off that passage, that parable, but it, it is just a, a, a teaching, a lesson. This truth that you have is a light to the world. Jesus is the light of the world. And knowing the truth, being saved by the truth, we now don't keep it to yourself. It, it is our job, our duty to make it known. Truth is meant to be made known. Truth is for all people, as we've talked about, not just for yourself. And truth that is used and seen, meaning truth that is is taught and and actively applied to life 
and seen by other people, that truth will be confirmed and spread by the people that see it and, and realize that it's true. Following that, we, we get into the portion where we find that Jesus actually continues to show his power, not just by teaching, but by controlling the uh, controlling nature. And this is just a true and essential testament to his godhood, to him being the son of God. Um, so as he begins to, uh, the scriptures talk about them getting on a boat and they begin to go to the other side and Jesus falls asleep. But what we, sometimes we get distracted by, you know, the sea and, and kind of everything that happens. But what we really need to, to think about is who is this? Which is exactly the question that the, the disciples are answering from themselves. It says in verse 25, they were fearful and amazed saying to one another, who then is this that come that he commands even the winds and the water and they obey him. Who is this? So you're saying that they, they probably should be focusing more about um, who is asleep in the boat and why is there a man in my boat that is not worried about the wind and the waves and it uh, being all crazy. If there's one person that is calm, he probably knows something that you don't know. So you're saying he probably needs to focus more on the on the guy in the boat uh, uh, than the waves and then the seas that are around them. There's and, definitely a reason Jesus wasn't worried. Yeah. and I mean, he even asks, where is your faith? Uh, he he is very aware of who he is, and and those around him are still coming to grasp the fact that this is the Christ, who is the Son of God, and has the power to teach and to control nature. How does he have this control? Well, he is the the creator of the universe, and being the creator, everything is under his control. And this didn't just. They didn't just react by being amazed and thanking Jesus for who he is and what he did, but I also like that it says that they feared. They, they were fearful, and and they, they also were amazed that, that there was a reverence towards, you know, not just the sea, what was happening, but there was a, there was a reverence for who Jesus is and, and not what just he could do, but like it says, who is this person, which is amazing. Yeah, I think that's overlooked a lot as we read through Jesus's miracles, it's, it is every time in the old Testament, when God like appears before somebody, or even an angel appears before somebody, it's the first reaction is always fear. I love reading the accounts of, of angels coming because every single time, uh, it always reacts. I think it's a funny thing, funny way, but it always says that they were afraid and, and they kind of run away or they cover their face. And, and that's something that we, you know, when we think of angels, we think of, you know, something that's usually wrong. Yeah, because white, it's holy yeah, halo. It's, yeah, it's not something beautiful. Though. It's, it's something that, that should bring fear and reverence. And, and they weren't, you know, just thankful for God, but they were they were fearful of what was going on, which is, which is amazing. And so... With these miracles, 
people are like, okay, how exactly do the miracles confirm that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God? What is the reaction every time God appears before somebody? Immediate respect, immediate reverence and fear. What is the response every time Jesus performs one of these miracles? Immediate respect and fear because they're realizing who this is. Absolutely. Continuing on, we we come to a portion of the chapter where Jesus is continuing to show his power in a different way. We find that a demoniac, uh, somebody possessed by demons, is cured. And in Ma- there's a couple correlating passages in Matthew chapter 8 and Mark chapter 5 that give us a really full picture of what's happening here in Matthew. We see that there's actually two people possessed by demons, but one of them being what we find in Luke being named, calls himself Legion, is definitely the more prominent of the two. That's why Mark and Luke really focus on him. Um, And just as we are grasping this passage, we we had a question come in uh, again from Bruce as uh, we answered his question last week, but he actually gave us one uh, preemptive again for for this chapter, and it was in regard to this this section here with the demons. Uh, we had actually a few questions come in in the last couple weeks, and before I jump into this, I just want to say our plan is probably the 10th episode. We're going to do a Q&A. It may be a shorter episode, depending on how many questions we have, but if you have questions, send them, because we're going to do the Q&A episode, and we hope to answer some questions that we've received. We have a few, but this one, again, this, this question related directly to the chapter we're in this week some of the other questions that we're going to answer in the Q&A are questions that aren't directly in uh, the chapter that we're actually studying. But this question, Bruce asked, the demons asked to not be thrown into the abyss. What are they referring to? If it is hell, why would they not want to go where they came from? So... There's kind of a couple things with this question. I want to start with the abyss, the word abyss. The definition of the Greek word in, when you if you look at Strong's Dictionary or however you want to look at it, but the Greek word, its description is an infernal bottomless pit. And this infernal abyss is referring to Hades. This was... This, so this def, this reference to the abyss here is is definitely in reference to Hades. Um, if you want a little more insight to what Hades is, check out Luke chapter sixteen. Am I right on that? Yep, uh, chapter sixteen. I believe it's verse nineteen through the end of the chapter. I'll have to turn. To, I'll turn and confirm that. But but that is the 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 true account of the rich man and Lazarus. Yeah, that's right. That's and right. that gives us a little more insight to this thing of Hades, but uh, to shortly describe it, Hades is the place of torment, the the burning side, and then 
across the cavern, as described in Luke chapter 16, there is the bosom of Abraham or the place of paradise. And so that is what the, the place of torment side is the side that the demons are referring to. They, they don't want to be sent to this place of torment. And Matthew chapter 8 verse 29 helps us to have that fuller grasp of what it is because the demons know that full torment or torment is there in Hades and they, they say, have you come to torment us before the, t- the proper time? Um, that's a Tanner paraphrase. It's something along those <laughs> lines. Um, before I go any further, that, that's, that is what the abyss is referring to. Now we kind of get into the part of the question that's talking about demons. Now, there is not a whole bunch of scripture or doctrine that we find in, in scripture. I mean, there's not a whole bunch to find about demons and angels. Um, in fact, the there are very few things that we have less doctrine on than demons, and one of them is angels. <laughs> what we do know, what we find in scripture is demons and Satan are not people that have passed away. They are demons and Satan. They weren't born or created in hell. What we find in Scripture is that they were angels that turned against God in their pride and were cast out of heaven. And I have a, a few scriptures that I want to read that speak to this. The first one is Revelation chapter 12. Revelation chapter 12, verse 9. It says, And the great dragon was thrown down, the serpent of old, who is called the devil and Satan, who deceives the whole world. He was thrown down to the earth, and his angels were thrown down with him. So as we see there, it it makes it pretty plain that when Satan, when the great dragon as he's described here, when he deceived, or not when he deceived, when he attempted to be God or take the place of God or be greater than God out of pride, he was cast out along with, as this describes, his angels, which we now call demons. So Satan and, you could say, his demons. So they aren't from the place of torment. They were cast out of heaven. And as we find in Ezekiel chapter 28, verses 13 through 19, and I'm I'm actually not going to read that, but I encourage you to go read it, Ezekiel chapter 28, verses 13 through 19. And then we find it also in Job chapter 1, verse 7. We see that when they were cast out of heaven, they are now roaming the earth. Job chapter 1, verse 7, The Lord said to Satan, From where do you come from? Then Satan answered the Lord and said, From roaming about on the earth and walking around on it. So the demons... Their, their 
the place of torment or the abyss or hell, um, which is a different thing. That's that will come when judge when the day of judgment comes. But that is not where the the demons want to be. That's not where they come from. That's not where Satan comes from. He was cast. Satan, along with his demons, were cast out of heaven, and now they roam the earth, as as Scripture teaches. And there's kind of a statement that I'm sure many of you have heard, but there's been this statement said, Satan would rather rule in hell than live in submission to God in heaven. And from what we find in Scripture, that is just a false statement. There is no good or positive thing about the place of torment side of Hades, and there is no good about hell. Hell is, as stated, a place of torment, or that's what Hades is described as. Um, hell is described as a, 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 constant, a constant or ever, everlasting fire, the lake of fire, where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. There is no good or positive side of it. Uh, there's, this, there's these false teachings about this comes from the world. This comes from other Hollywood and movies, movies, uh, some TV other shows. other Christian religions. There's just a lot of false teaching regarding this. In as I said before, there is not a whole lot found in Scripture about angels and demons. So people have taken a lot of liberty in in what they teach on it. But what we find in Scripture is. There, like I said, there's no positive about the abyss or or hell, and so Satan is not living in hell, living it up as king of the world down there. That's that's not at all what we learn from Scripture. Just like people who will be punished for not putting their faith in Jesus Christ, just like people people who will endure the consequence of their sin because they didn't put faith in Jesus Christ, Satan will also endure the punishment, the consequence of his sin, of his pride. Um, I think that's been very skewed, especially by Hollywood, but also some other Christian religions and, and the world and we, we wanted to make sure that we answered that so that we understood this abyss that the demons are afraid to go to. They're afraid of it because it's not where they were created to be. It's not where they come from. It's where they have been destined to go now that they are are have been cast out of heaven because of sin. To suffer. Be- yes. They they are afraid to go there because that is where they will endure their consequence. Um, you, you said something that really made me think. Um, and I, and I'm, I'm saying this, that, that it's awesome to ask questions. You should definitely ask questions. But I believe that we need to focus on uh, not what's not in Scripture, but what is in Scripture. Like you said, that there's not a whole lot when it comes to demons and angels, but we don't need to really focus on what's not in the Bible, but we need to focus on what is specifically stated in the Scripture and know exactly what that says about this said doctrine. You know, focus what's there, not what's not there. Yeah, I mean, th- there's a lot that we could get into to prove 
that certain beliefs about angels and demons are false. I'm not really in the business of doing that, especially right now. <laughs> Our focus is that we need to be sure what we know about all of this, but you know, right now we're talking about the angels or the demons, I mean. We need to be sure that what we know and talk about is actually Bible. And is consistent with all of the Bible, not just one verse. Absolutely. So what we what we present about angels and demons, what we present about anything, we're going to go to the scripture, not you know, stuff outside of that because that's not God's word and that's what we're relying on. So I hope that answers some questions. That question, if there's further questions, please ask more. We have another question for Bruce that from Bruce that actually wasn't specifically regarding this chapter and we want to get to that in the future. We'll probably answer that in the Q&A episode. Yeah, we and we've that. gotten a couple other other questions from different people too, and that's one of the reasons why we wanted to do a Q&A episode. We actually discussed about the idea of doing one back at the very beginning of the podcast, um, but we decided to kind of wait and see if many people were listening and actually had questions, and so now that we have a few, we don't want to take up a huge portion of an episode where we're trying to get through the highlights of a chapter to address those questions. But we do love when you guys send them, and we want to take time to address them and, and answer them fully. And so that's why we're going to have a Q&A episode soon, so we can really spend some time to dig into the Word and, and answer your guys' questions, but also not do it in a way where we're, we're taking away time from getting through the chapter that we're in to do so. Yeah, and if the question applies to a chapter that we're getting ready to cover, it will likely be answered as we cover the chapter. But yeah. if it's something from a previous chapter or if it's something that uh, is outside of the specific passage we're working on, we'll, we'll wait until one of those Q&As and, and answer it then. Moving on from this, still regarding the demoniac being cured, what we should notice from this is that God is more powerful than Satan and his demons. That is the key of this of this section of the chapter. God is more powerful than Satan and his demons. There's a point in scripture where Jesus is questioned about about his ability to cast out demons. What power he uses it from is that what you're thinking? And of? and Jesus says a house divided does not or a house divided falls. And his point is that is it's not Satan casting out demons. It's not demons casting out other demons. They, it were, is, they were accusing him of using the power of Satan to cast out the demons. And that's, that's why he said the thing about the house being divided against itself can't stand because it wouldn't make any sense for him to use the power of Satan to cast out demons, which are on Satan's side. It is it is God being more powerful than Satan and his demons that allows Jesus, uh, Jesus has this power being God. Um, and what we find in this passage and several passages where demons are involved is even the demons know <laughs> that God is more powerful than them because when Jesus comes near them, they they tremble in fear. They ask that they not be sent into torment. They I mean we see that in this very passage and the relating passages in Matthew eight and Mark five. Um, they even know it. Tanner, um, Tanner, you just mentioned earlier in this chapter that 
because Jesus is the creator of all things, he has authority and power over it. Not only in the in this chapter do we see that the demons obey the word of Jesus. Remember back to when we were talking about the them at sea, the wind and the waves immediately obeyed Jesus. So just who is this Jesus is, is what some of the men asked earlier in this chapter, that the wind obeys him, the water obeys him, and the demons obey him. And I, I should have said this earlier. I want to make sure that I'm I am clear on this. God did not create Satan and his demons to be Satan and demons. He created them as angels to be to dwell with him as as holy beings as the angels are. And they rebelled. But they rebelled. It it is not on God that they are now demons and Satan. Just like God didn't create the human race to sin and fall away from him, but he gave us free will, and we all choose to, unfortunately, rebel against him at times. Yeah. And so as we're looking at this, what we should learn is we should rely on God to help us overcome temptation. The Satan, the very one deceiving us, tempting us, to sin against God, God is more powerful than he is. So why, so often, do we not trust God to deliver us from that? Mm. When we see in Scripture, when we know deep down, God is more powerful than Satan, but then we don't go to him when we're in times of temptation. That's just silliness. And I, I, I'm not pointing fingers. I'm, If anything, I'm pointing fingers right back at myself because I do the same thing, but... You know, let this encourage you. Trust God. Uh, rely on him when temptation comes because God is more powerful. And in the parable of the sower, we were told about what kind of soil allows temptation to cause a fall off, and that's the rocky soil. Remember, is that soil where you hear the word and receive it with joy. But get this, it never took root. Now, I'm not saying that any Christian that's ever given into temptation doesn't have strong roots. Obviously, we all sin and fall short, but if a constant problem in our lives is temptation causing us to fall away and to fall short, maybe we haven't taken root in our faith enough, and we need to make more of an intentional effort to be in the Word and to be in prayer. And I know those are your your common Sunday school answers, but maybe you'd think if we have to teach our children this in Sunday school and our teens and our youth, and then you hear it in Adult lessons and sermons as you get older, maybe it's pretty important <laughs> if, if it keeps coming up over and over again to be in the Word and to be in prayer. Take root in your faith so that temptation doesn't constantly grab a hold of you and pull you away. Well, I was thinking about this not too long ago, but it reminded me of it when you said it. How often do we have all these Sunday school answers, but we don't do the Sunday school answers? So we know the simple answer. Yeah, it is simple, but... We don't do it. Knowledge with no obedience. Yeah. 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 We know it in our head that it can't make that journey down to our heart and really get lived in our life. We see a little bit of this faith in action as we move past the demoniac and into some of Jesus' healing. We have two interesting cases of Jesus' healing. The first is... As he's moving through this thick crowd, a woman touches him, and immediately she's healed. 
And then Jesus asks an interesting question. And so I asked the question, why was it important? I, I asked this of myself. Why was it important that Jesus asked who touched me? Because he's God. He, he knows the answer to the question he asked. Why was it important for him to ask that? It was important so that the people around him, we got we to gotta remember always what the point of miracles are to prove that Jesus is the Christ over and over again. So this wasn't magic. It didn't just happen for no reason. It was reliant on the faith that the woman had. That's an important note. And this miracle confirmed the purpose or this question that that Jesus asked asking who touched me this confirmed the purpose of the miracle you know if if he just went on then the miracle really accomplished no purpose but with him asking the question it confirmed the purpose of the miracle which was to provide God's testimony both of the approval of the woman's faith First, to confirm, okay, this woman had faith. But secondly, to confirm the the core meaning, the core purpose that Jesus is the Christ. And then following that miracle, there's another miracle of healing. And I, maybe I am a little hard on, our, on us, but I feel like we failed to really focus on the fact that Jesus raised somebody from the dead last chapter. Uh, Did so, we miss that? <laughs> <laughs> uh, I mean, we kind of we honestly glossed over it more than we probably should have. <laughs> oh, it's just resurrection. <laughs> oh, don't worry. Uh, about it. But we have a little bit of redemption here as the chapter ends <laughs> in chapter eight. The second time Jesus has raised somebody from the dead. I mean, if you want to start hitting every verse, we can make this thing like four hours long. <laughs> I'm not trying to hit every verse, but, I mean, <laughs> resurrection's kind of a big deal. If you're hitting a uh, verse, you're probably cutting a couple hours before this. <laughs> so, resurrection, I mean, talk about confirming that he is the Christ. He resurrects somebody, a child from the dead. I, like I said, this is the second time Jesus is raised from the from somebody from the dead. And as we draw closer and closer as we go through this gospel to his own resurrection, it should be no question that he, being the Christ, being God, it should be no question that he has power over death and should be able to raise himself. So many were confused about him saying, I'm going to tear the temple down and raise it up again in three days. So many are confused today how some man, just some random man, would have the power to resurrect and they don't believe. Jesus repeatedly, before he even raised himself, proved who he was, not just in miracles, but proved who he was in the very resurrection of people. A lot of times we... there's, there's, I, I don't, I don't know how we do this, but we kind of gloss over all these resurrections, and the only two resurrections that we think are in Scripture are Jesus raising Lazarus and then Jesus's resurrection himself. He doesn't just do it once. He doesn't just do it twice, but 
over and over again throughout the gospel, we see this resurrection power, this power over death. And you said it earlier in the car. Miracles are this action from God that either through through a person or just on his own, miracles are something that are counter to the natural laws that he created. Only God can make something happen outside of the natural because he is supernatural. And we see Jesus constantly confirming who he is and constantly changing one of the most natural things about life that we will all die because of as a consequence of sin being in the world that is that is a a part of nature now and god proves over and over again through jesus proves over and over again through these resurrections that not only does he have power over death but he is god and being god he can do so much more and eventually through his death on the cross he can save us from the consequence ourselves. It's good stuff. That kind of wraps up the chapter. I'm very thankful that we can do this together. Jacob Cabe, I'm very happy that you were able to join us. Uh, they had just got back today from the prayer clinic, and I I didn't realize they were coming back today, but me and Jacob were kind of talking about the podcast, and we were going to record it tomorrow, but Jacob Cabe decided to stay the evening and we were like let's get him on so we didn't give him a whole lot of time to prepare but he did a good job and i appreciate him being on here and bringing his joyful enthusiasm as he i'm sure he was sitting there smiling the whole time it's always a blast it's always a blast to record this podcast and uh, it was it was extra special today to to do it with you. So thank you for joining oh, us, Jacob. Guys, thank you for asking me to be on here, and uh, you know I just really appreciate you know, and I'm honored to be the first guest on, on the podcast. I, I only have one complaint, and that is that you get your next guest more comfy chairs because <laughs> I'm sitting here in a kitchen chair and, I, I, and I'm smiling I and happy. I offered you this chair. I I know, man, but I I I just. This chair you, you is just can't, been I also, You can't say that though when we're both sitting in comfy chairs and you're not and then I you act No, like I'm going to call I'm going to so, call it out. Jacob, you, not you just only, look at this chair. Not only did he offer you the office chair, I said I can get you some pillows for that chair and you said, "Oh no, it'll be all right." Yeah, maybe I just wanted to suffer so at the end of this podcast I could know, make a comment of how terrible this chair is. That's a little disrespectful. Just a little bit. Just a little bit. (laughs) No, I love you guys very much, and I I do. I did really enjoy being on here with you guys, for sure. Well, we want to thank you all for listening or watching. If you're watching on YouTube, leave a like for the Bucky shirt. Comment. Please ask questions. We're always thankful for the questions and excited to, to answer them. Follow, subscribe, depending on what platform you're on. It's a joy and an honor to be able to create this podcast and, you know, we do it for our own growth just as much as we hope it helps you all to grow. May grace, mercy, and peace be with you and go bear fruit and so prove to be one of his.